Welcome to the Purpose and Principles podcast. I'm Max Brown. And my guest today, well, I'm super excited, is Steve Gutzler. Steve, recent author of Lead With No Fear. He's also the founder and president of Leadership Quest, which is a Seattle-based leadership development company dedicated to growing leaders at every level of the organization. The purpose of Leadership Quest is to help professionals develop their personal leadership, influence, impact, and emotional intelligence. And every day he writes that he strives to help leaders and teams achieve their desired goals in sales productivity, leadership, time maximization, and life balance. Steve, I am really, really grateful that you could join me today uh, to share about this latest book and what you're experiencing out there. Yeah, thank you, Max. It's great to be with you. A longtime admirer of yours. Well, thank you. And and likewise. And, you know, I, it's fun because in social media, a few of us have been in these small circles where we've been able to follow each other's work for years. Um, I was really excited when I heard about this new book you just came out with, and I'm so glad you could join me to talk about it. Yeah, thank you. It, it's so ironic because my co-author, Mike Acker, and I had actually been discussing it for 2020. Okay. And... Uh, we actually made the decision to start writing it. We were in a Woods Coffee when we got a shelter-in-place order by our governor here in Washington State. We looked at each other and we said, you know, why don't we just focus on it right now? And we literally wrote the book, believe it or not, in 30 days. Wow. And we published it 90 days. So at least those first three months of the shelter-in-place, I was like head down. I had a purpose, a mission. But uh, I really feel like it was timely. And then little did we know, lead with no fear would, would be so relevant today. Well, I'll tell you, as, as someone who reads a lot of books like yourself, I really enjoyed this read and I recommend it to our listeners. It's one of those fun reads that I just, I could go from story to story. Your points are easy to read and understand and it doesn't feel... So I, 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 I realized when I read the book that you'd written it very quickly because it had COVID all about it. And I was like, wow, to write it and to publish it um, so quickly, very, very impressive. But yet it didn't feel like a rushed product. Do you know what I mean? It felt like yes. a quality product to me and I really enjoyed the read. So thank you for writing it. Mm, thanks. Thank you for writing well, the, it. The interesting thing about it, Max, is we had the outline in form and uh, these seven shifts that we refer to, and I know mm -hmm. we'll get into it, but these seven shifts that we refer to in the book are shifts I've been living for 20 years, mm -hmm. and Mike, my co-author as well, mm -hmm. in a little different form. So they're not so much uh, things that we've learned or gleaned from our studies, but mm -hmm. they, they've all been built around defining moments in our own leadership. Mm -hmm. And so... It was, I wouldn't say easy to write about, but I mean, it was top of mind. It was like, this is our life. This is our passion. This is what we observe in other key leaders. Yeah. And, and so let's get right into it, shall we? What, you know, a lot of people have to overcome challenges in their life. And of course, the title, Lead With No Fear. But but there is a lot of fear out there. There's particularly a lot of fear, even while you were writing the book there, I think there will be fear, you know, for years to come yet. Some people are successful in overcoming that fear. And that's what you talk about here. Um, how does one shift from a fear base or, you know, living in a lot of fear to confidence and clarity as you write about in the book? Uh -huh. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think when COVID, let's use this example. When COVID hit, 
the first two weeks I lived on adrenaline. And mm -hmm. by that, I mean, I was just triaging schedules and things mm -hmm. that I had planned out for a year prior. Mm -hmm. And so I was just triaging and, and rescheduling, thinking that a lot of these would be rescheduled. And then it became apparent to me, these aren't going to be rescheduled. These are canceled events. Yeah. And, and I'm self-employed, right? So it did cast me in. I call it the stages of grief. COVID really threw me uh, down hard. I had at first denial. Then there was anger mm -hmm. because it was taking my livelihood and my lifestyle that I loved of travel and meeting and engaging leaders. Yes. I went into the third stage, which is bargaining. I kept thinking, well, maybe I can be the exception. And I actually tried a couple travel events and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth stage of grief is profound sadness. And that's where you get depressed. That's when you get into a kind of a melancholy state. And, and I don't know if it was clinical depression, but I definitely went through a, a funk and a profound sadness. Mm -hmm. But the fifth stage is acceptance mm. and not a surrender. But I tell leaders, look, we need to get to a place where there's a level of acceptance. And I think there's a sixth stage, honestly, and it is meaning and purpose. If we can, the, your, your podcast, Purpose. Mm -hmm. If we can find a greater purpose mm -hmm. in this, mm -hmm. it might be the rekindling of a marriage. Mm -hmm. It might be the reordering of your physical life. It might be embracing the virtual realities in doing. So I feel like I'm at least at that place. So moving from fear, I think you need to identify what stage you're in. And then hopefully get, you don't, you can't rush it, but get to acceptance, get to meaning and purpose, start thinking. I, I, I tell all my clients, set aside August as vision month to really think through where you are, where you see yourself, maybe in the next few, few months. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that helps, but I think for me, I really have had to kind of go through these stages, Max. Well, I love I love your candor and your vulnerability about what you're experiencing. You know, on the I, I've talked to several people who have described very similar experiences, and it's interesting because uh, I, I understand that I get that as we go through these these periods or these phases, if you will. I also heard about the phase where you and I, perhaps less so, but those who couldn't find hair clippers on Amazon because they were all yeah, sold yeah. out, everyone was cutting their own hair at some point. You know. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> These phases have been very interesting. We worried about toilet paper at the first and, and, and we went through like to phase four where, where hair clippers were missing. And, um, and now people are just getting, I mean, you talked about bandwidth before we jumped on, you know, people are starting to realize this is actually not going away anytime soon. A lot of people are working from home now. It has changed the way we do business. And so we're now learning that this, this new normal, if you will, is part of the way we live. So how do we overcome that fear? You talked about reconnecting with our purpose. You know, many people that you share in the book, you share a lot of great stories in the book around people who have had self-doubts, even very successful people. What, what surprises you most about the executives you often coach? Um, and how do you help them to make the changes necessary to lead more effectively um, even when they have self-doubt. Maybe help us understand, are we all alone? Those of us who are listening, you know, are we the only ones that have ever had self-doubt? And, and I'm, I'm kind of guessing 
based on the stories you've shared, um, that there's a lot of us that actually experience this. So it's not just for a few people. Yeah, one of the most significant coaching clients I've had um, works for a major technology company, Mm -hmm. and he's a C-level leader. And when I first met him, I went into his office and his leg was propped up and he had, it looked like a nylon on it. It was summer. He had shorts. It looked like there was a nylon wrap on his leg Mm -hmm. and he brought me in. He knew I did coaching and training. People think that I'm, I'm like very confident, but I actually have a lot of insecurities, but he had this embolism in his leg, a blood clot that went up to his heart and almost killed him. Mm -hmm. And it became a defining moment. And he said, I need to find greater purpose. I really need to know what my true center is, what my contribution is in life. And so really the formative months of working with him is getting him more to a centered place Mm -hmm. rather than a default fear place. Mm -hmm. And I find that like Rick Warren wrote this book, The Purpose Driven Life. And he said, people change not when they see the light, they change when they feel the heat. And it's usually a defining moment that leads us to a more centered place in our leadership. Boy, it's a good distinction. And as you mentioned, it's not enough just to know conceptually that purpose is useful, but how that purpose plays a meaningful role in your life, as you just described with this leader. Uh Yeah, that's right. And I think we're all, I think we're all trying to move to a more centered place. I think the other thing uh, is finding a work rhythm and a life rhythm that kind of gets us back in the flow right now. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm just now getting back into the flow Mm -hmm. Uh, because initially I felt like this is temporary. Yeah. And, and so I was, I wasn't really structuring my days as much as I should. I wasn't as uh, purposeful. And now I'm realizing I need to be very purposeful with my day. I need to start my day on purpose. I need to have my early morning ritual. I need to get into a scheduled routine, all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that helps as well. Boy, it sure does. And getting into that structured routine so that we actually follow something and engage in productive work rather than just kind of bumping around accidentally from from event to event. That's right. Yeah. Let's get into the seven shifts. You know, we you talked about it early in the book that there are seven shifts you suggest to get from this fear place to a confidence place, this place of clarity. Can you talk about each one of those briefly? Maybe what you're talking about there as a teaser, if you will, for folks who are trying to figure out where do I go from here? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So the premise of the book is that if you look at people's transformational change, mm-hmm. when you watch a person actually change, mm-hmm. when you see a leader move and change, it usually isn't a quantum leap. It's a three degree shift in strategic areas. Mm-hmm. So let me say that again. It's usually just a three degree shift. It's like an aircraft carrier when a, when a captain says three degrees to the right, nobody on the crew feels it. But over 60, 90 days, you could be an entirely different continent. Mm -hmm. And so the key is figuring out what are the shift areas Mm -hmm. and attitude or mindset or emotion that kind of filters into your mind and there's negative Mm self-talk, right? So that shift occurred to me when I um, 
was on an experiential based trip with some burn victims down in Southern Oregon. And I spent five days with them and it was an amazing trip. And what I recognized in that day is they never referenced themselves as victims. They're burn survivors, mm-hmm. individuals that have 35 to 95% of their bodies burned, mm-hmm. disfigured, and yet the medical teams and staff and physical therapists and counselors immediately reference them as survivors, not victims. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was transformational to me because I realized I had allowed kind of victim speak into my mind. This was back in the during the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. And I needed to change my self-talk. I needed to change my vocabulary. I needed to change how I even acted. And Max, I say this really humbly, but just a few years ago, I was speaking at a conference, largest pharmaceutical conference in America, mm-hmm. 3,500 CEOs, pharmacists, and the opening day speaker was my personal mentor from afar, John C. Maxwell. Mm-hmm. Day two was Magic Johnson, and day three was Steve Gutzler. Mm-hmm. And as I was being introduced, I literally recalled, had I not changed from victim to leader, I wouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have this platform. Mm -hmm. Victims don't get on platforms. I don't mean physical platforms, but platforms of influence. Mm -hmm. So the first shift is not just foundational. It is a three degree, but it sets your whole life in motion. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's, that's a big one. I'll, I'll just give a couple others. Uh, shifting from unaware to self-aware. I think there are, a lot of leaders are unaware leaders. They need to increase their emotional intelligence. They need to understand that they're not just transferring information to their teams, but they're literally transmitting emotions. Mm-hmm. And in this day, you better be careful what emotion you're transmitting. Mm-hmm. Because if it's toxic... Or if it's negative, it's going to derail the very people you want to inspire. Yeah. So being self-aware as a leader is a big one. So those are a couple of key shifts right out of the block. What would you suggest, though, to those who are saying, yeah, but I, I feel like my leader has a bunch of blind spots, so they say they're self-aware, uh, maybe not as aware as they hoped. Right. Well, I just had a client call yesterday, and uh, you know we talk about, the 360 leader. Mm-hmm. And no matter where you are in the organization, you're going to lead up to people over you. Mm-hmm. And that's when you have courageous conversations. Mm-hmm. That's when you candidly, but honestly and courageously maybe share the impact that that leader is having mm-hmm. on the team. Mm-hmm. And when we lead side to side to our colleagues and our, our, stakeholders and we lead down and no one ever, you know, leadership is like a multifaceted diamond. You never get there, but it's, it has all these unique cuts. Yeah. But I tell leaders, the number one slice is self-awareness. You need to understand what is the impact that you're creating Mm -hmm. on your colleagues and peers. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. And the way they show up, like you said, it's so magnified. It's so magnified by what they do, even in the littlest things that other people will try to interpret or misinterpret, depending on what happens. I I remember a leader who would, every day he would go around and greet all of his teams on the shop floor. 
And, and one day he was just rushed. He was running late. And so he didn't get out on the floor, uh, went right to his office. People came to him during the day saying, hey, what's wrong? Like, what, what, what happened? And he didn't realize what an impact he had had by having that daily routine of just greeting his teams. And what they were figuring out was, why, is he mad at me or something, you know? Like, why didn't he come out and visit? And it had nothing to do with him being angry at all. He just happened to be busy that day and didn't get out there. Uh, That's so great. The very leader I spoke of earlier that yes. began to make transformational changes, he does what's called a 20-20 each day. The first 20, and this, of course, when we're back in normal work uh, environments, but the first 20 of his day is he walks the floor. Mm-hmm. And the last 20 of the day, he walks the floor. Yeah. Because he said, how you greet people and how you close out a day is so imperative. And his overarching mantra is treat my team like volunteers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine a fear-based leader that now is treating his team like volunteers. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's also uh, Rob Wagner in the book at the, the last ship going from fast to finishing since it's impossible for a leader to move from uh, an ego or love state. You're, you're going to have to choose. Mm-hmm. It's either going to be self-centered, self-serving, or you're going to be Mm servant-based. And he always pauses before he makes decisions or interacts and literally says, where am I moving from? Yeah. Love or ego? Yeah. And uh, when we interviewed him for the book, I was blown away. I, I had observed that in his leadership. I didn't know it was that intentional. Yeah. That's such a great way to put it. You know, I, I interviewed a, a gentleman named Jeff Henderson uh, before, and his question is, what is it like to be on the other side of me? Oh, wow. Isn't that a great question? And yeah. it's just what you just described. It's just what you described. What is it like to be on the other side of me? And I'm writing that one down. <laughs> isn't that great? Yeah, Jeff Henderson wrote a great book called Four. So, you know, a lot of people know what they're against. He wrote about what we're for. And um, just a great, great human being as well. So just what you just said, what is our motive for showing up the way we do? Is it about my ego and who's and showing people who's boss? I often ask this question. I, I, I say, what is your motive for giving that type of feedback or for giving any type of feedback? Is it to show them who's boss or is it to actually motivate things to improve? Because they show up differently. That's right. They, they That's show up great. differently. So thank you for sharing that. You know, you talk about several other aspects here from insecure to confident, from activity to accomplishment, from fast to finishing. Oh, and the other one, you know, from black and white TV to high def. Like why, yeah. why basically why settle for the status quo if, if you can have something better and you can improve it, make it better, like always be improving. Right. Yeah, it's funny. In live events, I'll say how many of, because this is a keynote I actually give as well, these, these shifts. Yeah. And I'll say, how many of you can actually remember black and white TVs? And it's funny because a lot of people just stare at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but I'm always encouraged when a few people laugh or will raise their hand. And I, my grandparents had a black and white TV. And I remember going over there and always just being really curious, like, wow, black and white. That is so plain. And when we first got married, Julie and I had a very small, it was color, but Mm -hmm. we graduated up to finally, it was the big flat screen, the high definition. And if you think about a black and white versus high def, Mm -hmm. and I ask leaders, 
Imagine what it would be like if you could move through life and leadership through high definition vision. Yeah. And these are, again, I don't know when your podcast will come out, but August for me is going to be vision month Mm -hmm. and for all my clients. And I love to dedicate an entire month because I don't think you just snap your fingers and write a few notes down. I think you have to kind of sit in it and think about it. Like, um, where, where do I see myself in the next two to three years? What do I truly want to accomplish of purpose? Mm-hmm. What is some lasting memories I want to create for my family? Mm-hmm. What are some milestones we'd like to um, celebrate? Mm-hmm. What, what do I want to invest in, not just financially, but my time in the next two to three years? And, you know, Max, it was really interesting. I was on Facebook yesterday, and one of my old high school classmates, Marty, I, I, I don't know her well, but I, I remember her name, Marty Davis. And it's fun, you know, it's fun to look at pictures of your high school because it's like, yeah, I remember Marty. Mm-hmm. And she goes, I wanted to post something that's a bit sobering. I went back through our yearbook and I've done research the last six months. Here are the classmates that have passed away since we graduated. Mm. And it was a full page of two call, three column names since my graduation. And I'm telling you, it brought tears to my eyes because at least six or eight of those students I knew well, and I had no idea they had passed away. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mark Baker, Mike Cherry, uh, Adam Smith. I mean, I was just like staring at that list. And I, it, it literally haunted me through the day like, wow, life goes by quickly and we never know when we'll pass, right? Yes. And it, it's not a uh, uh, morbid thought. It should be a sobering thought mm-hmm. regarding what, what is our vision? Mm-hmm. What do we want that is truly clear? in the next two to three years that will matter most. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to put it. And allowing that vision then to help us prioritize how we're going to spend our time, how we're going to spend our talents and our energy, because these years will pass whether we're doing anything with them or not. That's right. So yeah. let's be intentional about it is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. The uh, One of the interesting shifts that we discussed is activity to accomplishment. And mm-hmm. Max, you'll appreciate this. I hired a business coach. It was, I, I would say five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. And he was expensive. <laughs> I almost didn't do it. It was the greatest investment. We only met two times, mm-hmm. but it was two half days. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, here's my issue, Brian. Uh, I had the business year that I can remember, and it was probably one of the least productive years, bottom line in my business. Mm-hmm. So we did a time audit. He made me do a three-month time audit. He goes, get your calendars, whatever system you use. Let's just walk through. And it took us three hours just to walk through my calendar. And he asked me penetrating questions. How do you start your day? What do you do your first working hour? Mm-hmm. Um, when do you typically take breaks? This and that. And what we def- the bottom line is we discovered I was only – investing 60 to 90 minutes a day on what we call MVP, most valuable and profitable work. Mm -hmm. 
client engagement, cultivating new leads, um, uh, you know, following up, getting testimonials, things for my business, adding value to my current clients. Mm-hmm. I mean, significant value. He goes, Steve, you're only doing 10 to 15% of your day on MVPs. And then he made a statement. I'm self-employed. He said something that changed me forever. If you can increase it to 25 to 30%, I think you could double your income in 14 months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm about that. And it perked up my ears. I said, really? He goes, I'm, I, he goes I work with people all the time. I'm telling you the truth. In 12 months, of course, now we've got some COVID, you know, speed bumps, but mm-hmm. in 12 months, I doubled my income. Mm-hmm. And it was based upon the discipline of focusing on MV activity accomplishments as opposed to a myriad of activities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a good distinction. And I appreciate that. It's, boy, just so many different pieces to this that I'm thinking about. With listeners today who might be struggling with, uh, well, they're struggling maybe with a fear-based leader, or they've even the fact that we've talked about this stuff for decades, and you and I have been studying leadership theory and, and leadership application and working with clients for decades. Yet, despite all of this, we still have a lot of companies who are struggling. And so fear is still a real reality for a lot of people. Why is it still so prevalent in your opinion? Why is it that we have so many people who still are feeling quite insecure, even as leaders. Um, and how can we how can we help them lead differently? How can we help them to make this this leap, if you will, mm-hmm. to a better place? Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting because when I talk to leaders that seem centered, I'll say, "Where did that come from?" Yes, they'll go, "What?" And I go, "You seem very centered. Mm-hmm. You don't seem erratic." Mm-hmm. You seem consistent. There's a calm confidence about you. Where did that come from? And again, they'll usually chart it back to a defining moment. Mm -hmm. And I recall my very first defining moment was four months of being unemployed. Mm -hmm. I had never, ever gone through any values clarification. I'd never written out a purpose statement. Mm -hmm. But I was reading, uh, uh, this isn't the actual book, this is the notebook, but I was reading Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. And he said, you've got to begin with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. And in that book, I never thought in terms of a purpose. And I wrote out my first purpose statement. I wrote out my five values, mm-hmm. my um, faith, family first, work hard, leadership, and have fun. Mm-hmm. And I, they just immediately came to me. I was like, well... My faith is central, family first, with every decision I make. Uh, my dad taught me, Steve, work hard, work is a gift, mm-hmm. uh, lead, leadership, and make it fun. It, but that that created a centeredness. And I think most leaders, until they go through some form of defining moment, you know, uh, uh, I work with the Seahawks, not the player side, but the corporate side. Mm-hmm. And Pete Carroll hands out a document to all the players and all the corporate people have it. It's called the language of the Seahawks. Mm -hmm. And he created that after he was fired by new England. Mm -hmm. He actually put the formulation of his documented leadership on a one page after being fired. Mm -hmm. And when USC interviewed him for the college 
they had three candidates. And when they interviewed him, they said, you're our guy. You have such clarity. How did you get so clear on your leadership? He goes, I've written it out based on being fired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, well, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I just think that there's something about documentation. Yeah. And I would encourage all of your listeners and leaders, figure out your five values, figure out what your overarching purpose is mm-hmm. um, and, and start from there. Boy, I think that's good advice. Get it written down. Talk about what you're trying to achieve and why you're trying to achieve it. Be very clear about what it is and where your motive is coming from to do that. Uh, And I think that'll help a lot for a lot of people to get that clarity. Like you said, you just know when a leader actually has that solid foundation, you can feel it. You can feel it about the person themselves. And when we're around those kind of people, they're actually far more uh, enjoyable to be around. That's right. We, right. we want to be around them. Yeah. Yeah. So good. It's good. What about the focus here? You know, there, there's, a, there's some people that are saying, but Max, I've been around people who are so courageous. They know fear. And, and boy, uh, we've seen some leaders who have taken people off cliffs. Um, and that's not very healthy behavior either. Not very sustainable. Uh, and so what do you say? Is there a balance between those who, you know, are out there trying to do something new um, and, and just before they quit, you know, there, there's lots of mantras on both sides of this. I guess the point is, is there a line where we have to know, Hey, this isn't courage anymore. This is, um, hubris, or this isn't courage anymore. This is arrogance, or, you know, this isn't courage anymore. It's actually failure and we need to pivot. So how do people make those pivots in life when, when fear is in the mix, when confidence is in the mix, um, when arrogance is in the mix and we just are trying to figure out, Hey, who are we following here? And, and how far do we go with this? Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's a great question. Let's, let's start with this. What are the intentional words, Max, that you intentionally say in your inner dialogue and what even comes out of your mouth mm-hmm. to your children, to your listeners to your colleagues what are those intentional words what are the ones that you defend against that you don't say and i've actually created a things to say list and words to defend against Mm -hmm. because i believe words are very powerful and they stick and they can either give light light or darkness to a person and so I think first and foremost, be intentional with your words. Uh, a number of years ago, I had a blood disorder that affected my energy. And most people didn't know it, but I would wake up every morning with a low-grade temperature. Uh, I would be fatigued throughout the course of the day. I would just have to push through it. And I would say to myself, immediately when I'd get up in the morning, I'd go, oh, I feel tired today. Uh, it feels like this blood disorder is really flaring up or affecting my energy. And I was talking to a friend of mine. He goes, be careful what you say. I would never use the word tired. Hmm. And I go, really? I eliminated the word tired in the very first moment. I still do it. The very first thing I do, as soon as I wake up in the morning, I put my hand on my chest and say, I'm feeling stronger and getting healthier today. Hmm. And I literally would send a message to my subconscious as to what my conscious behavior would be that day. Mm -hmm. It took, I'm telling you, it took 10, 15 years for me not to feel the effects of that 
blood disorder. Mm -hmm. Now, if you gave me, a, if you did a blood count, they'd say, yep, the numbers are still there that indicate there should be some fatigue. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you, God is my witness. I don't feel it. I don't think about it unless I use it as an example. Mm -hmm. So this may be off course from what you're asking, but I think as leaders, we have to be intentional about the things that we say mm -hmm. to ourselves and to people around us, because those words create emotions and emotions are contagious mm -hmm. and you want to prime good feelings as a leader. Excellent. I love it. And I, I agree with you. I think uh, well, you triggered actually an example for me. I met an executive at Google uh, when doing some consulting for a while there, the, a leader who came to me and said, my every intention is to love other people, even if I don't know them. And he goes, I don't know that I can, I can do anything for that person, but my intention is that every person I meet, I want them to know that I love them. And I thought that was, well, really magnanimous, right? But, but uh, more importantly for me, it was just this intention. And you felt that energy from that person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you just mm -hmm. felt that energy. And, and so, again, it didn't manifest itself in every person he met, but he certainly had that intention. Mm -hmm. And so you could feel that intention from that individual. So like you said, the words do matter. And what we continue to tell ourselves does matter. And so if we're beating ourselves up continually, that'll manifest itself. It'll Absolutely. manifest itself. The first, and you know this, but the first person we lead is ourself. The toughest person to lead is ourself. Mm -hmm. We lead with our inner dialogue. We lead with the words that come out of our mouth. We lead how we set up and restructure our days. We lead how we uh, interact with people mm -hmm. that we're not going to get anything from the cashier, the people on the, you know, my dry cleaner, these kinds of individuals. Every interaction, the thing that changed me is every single interaction, people come away from you feeling a little bit better about themselves and their situation or a little depleted. Yeah. And we don't want to be the depleter. Yeah. We want to be the life adder. When we walk away, we want people to say there was something different about her. There was something different about his leadership. Mm -hmm. And it, you don't need, you hear this all the time, you don't need the big position. Uh, one of the big change points of me is I wanted to be a captain on my football team my senior year. One of the four senior captains, it was one big goal I had set, and I didn't get it. And my coach took me for a walk about four days later. He said, you were disappointed you weren't a leader or a captain, right, Steve? Mm -hmm. I said, yes. And he goes, well, let me tell you how I view your leadership or how I view you. Number one, you're a great athlete, and I need you to play great this year. And I wasn't a great athlete. We had great athletes. I started, but I tried to play great mm -hmm. because of that. But he said a phrase that would forever change me, and it's been the core of my company, which is this, Steve Gutzler, you don't need to be a captain to be a leader. Mm -hmm. I need you to lead this year. And... You know, 20, 25 years later, we had a reunion. We were state champions that year. Mm -hmm. uh, they were state champions the following year. He went on to be a great collegiate coach. He went on to be the winningest coach in Canadian football history, Don Matthews. He won seven great cups, not because he was a great coach. He was a great motivator and leader. He was mm -hmm. a great person. Mm -hmm. 
And we had this big reunion with our football team and it was late at night. We're having beer and pizza in this room. And I go, guys, we can't leave before. And the, the coach came, I go, we can't go without, you know, honoring the coach. Just go around the room real quick and say a memory. They go, okay, my name is Guts. So they go, you go first, Guts. Mm-hmm. So I go, coach, you may not remember this, but I wasn't a captain. You said I was going to be a, you know, a great player that year. And, uh, and I didn't need to be a captain, be a leader. And that forever changed me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I call it the walk that changed my life. And the next guy goes, Coach, I'll never forget when you took me aside and you said I was a great player and I was one of the key leaders on our team. Mm-hmm. And God is my witness. As we went around the room, we all had a version of the walk that changed our life. Mm-hmm. And the reason is he knew how to draw out the best in us. Mm-hmm. He got each of us to elevate. Mm-hmm. And we can do that with our children. We can do that with our friends. We can do that with our clients. People are starving for leadership, right? Yeah. They sure are. And, you know, you've triggered for me a few examples. Uh, You wrote a really uh, touching story in the book. You you mentioned cashiers. And in the book, you write about a cashier. And that you, you know, to that point, you know, we all make mistakes in this. I, I was thinking of my own mistakes in this journey because I deeply believe in what you're saying. And as human beings, sometimes we get hurried, we get fast, we get impatient. Um, and, 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 you know, as let me just tell my story. And then if you wouldn't mind sharing yours, because you wrote it in the book in such sure. a great, powerful way. Uh, I, I, I broke my foot at one point in a climbing accident. I was on crutches and non-weight bearing for over six months. And then I had a, I had a cane after that. But I was traveling extensively, you know, speaking with clients nearly every single week. So I was traveling through airports all the time, every single week. But this time, at this point, I had crutches and I was leaping around, you know, trying to make connections. And I was in the Denver airport trying to make a connection. And as you know, uh, you know, that that airport from one side to the other is a mile (laughs) to make it even in the same concourse. And I was cruising, but they didn't bring a a cart. There was no wheelchairs. I was just really frustrated. Got to the bathroom and I was, I had my, my, um, uh, oh shoot, my um, crutches. And the crutch was actually faced with the wing nut faced towards my pocket. And I was washing my hands at the sink thinking, woe is me, life isn't fair, you know, why am I doing this? And I'm so frustrated. And the gentleman next to me, uh, I didn't look up, but he just looked over and he said, hey, you should really turn that crutch around so that the wing nut isn't facing your pocket because it snags. Hmm. And you'll trip and you'll fall. And, and I, I kind of curtly just said, yeah, 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 yeah. I've been doing this for a long time. And he said, no, no, you don't understand. I've been doing it my whole life. Mm. And I looked over at him and he had crutches and he's been doing this his whole life. Mm. And I thought, wow, who am I to complain? And, yeah. yes. you know, I just as had, I didn't even look up. And when I finally looked up and saw this gentleman who really just wanted to care about me to switch the way my crutch was arranged so that I wouldn't trip and fall. He was just caring about me as a human being. And I think about that a lot, kind of like what you think about with your coach. You don't have to be the captain in order to be the leader. For me, it's about how I show up every single day, how I talk to people every single day, even when I'm traveling. How do I honor that person, even if I can't do anything for them right now, but to see them as a human being? 
Would you share your cashier story and how you, what you, maybe what you learned there? <laughs> yeah, it was a, uh, you know, it's, it's the shift from fast to finishing. My whole life has been about going fast and I've had to learn the hard way of slowing down. And I go up to a normal or our grocery store all the time. I know all the cashiers and mm-hmm. I went up one week or one day, we were having a barbecue with my family and I was in a hurry, gathered up some additional items, got in line. And I realized this young woman was new and moving really slow. Mm-hmm. And I was like four people removed. And I, I literally was sighing and making like noises in, the lady in front of me turned around. We both looked at each other like, wow, yeah, this woman is really slow. Mm-hmm. And when I finally got up there with my card, I kind of shoved it up kind of quickly to kind of make a point like, wow, can we move quicker? Mm-hmm. And I literally said, it looks like you're new here. I haven't seen you. They kind of threw you out here a little early, like you haven't had the full training. And I, I don't know if it was that rude, but it was close. Mm-hmm. And she paused. She was like, hesitant and she goes you're right sir um i've been a stay-at-home mom like for six years and my husband was recently killed and this is my first week on the job Mm -hmm. and it was just like wow you know one of those moments like what did i just say yeah and what what am i doing i i sincerely apologize to her but literally it kind of haunted me for probably days like why am I moving so fast mm-hmm. to the point that I miss really, you know, meaningful moments? And because I got home and, you know, nobody even wanted to eat right away anyway, right? Mm-hmm. It was like, why was I rushing to, in the first place? Yeah. But I think these little moments, these defining moments begin to bring clarity to us and redefine who is the person I want to be. Yeah, boy. I hope our listeners today are feeling some inspiration to just slow down a little bit in the way we treat one another. It's not always just about us. Yeah, that's right. That's so true. And I really appreciated your story in that. The the candor and the vulnerability you and your co-author both shared, thought was very inspiring and very thoughtful. And, And frankly, it's something that I think we should all talk about a little bit more. It's why, frankly, I have a little farm. You know, it's tiny. We have this little hobby farm, but I want my kids to understand that it's not always about them and that it's not just about their needs. Although their needs are important, they're not the only needs. And and so we have to take care of one another and we have responsibility also for other animals in our, in our, in our, fr- in our family and in our farm. And there are needs for all of us to be successful and having them become aware that they're not the only things or the only time zone <laughs> in the world, right. I think is super important so that we're very, that we at least can expand our horizons and open up our eyes to the fact that the way we treat each other does matter. It really matters. And I think that's kind of a great way to start finishing this, this conversation today. You know, you wrote, we're not machines. We are human beings. I often talk about appreciation and the need for recognition in people's lives. And I say, it's not because we're needy, it's because we're human beings. Mm-hmm. And when you said, we're not machines, we're human beings, I said, boy, I just resonate with that message. We are human beings. What does that mean for you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, first, when I, I wrote that on a little business card and I have it down on our kitchen island yeah, and... Um, that I'm not a machine, I'm a human being. And it's my reminder that I don't have to act like a machine. Uh, I'm a human being. I've got a 
I have physicality. Mm-hmm. I have emotions that ebb and flow. Um, and I have a soul. And if I ignore those three areas, I t- turn into a machine. Yeah. And so I have to take care of myself physically. And I, I give a lot of thought about that. I don't obsess, but I'm intentional about it. During COVID, I've only missed three days. And I don't brag about it, but I've only missed three days of non-exercise where I haven't walked. Mm-hmm. I immediately just knew in my mind, okay, if we're going to be sheltered in place, I need to walk because I've been a 30-year gym goer, right? Mm-hmm. And that's closed. So I started walking. I've only missed three days. And uh, it's been actually great because my wife and I do at least one of the walks a day. Mm-hmm. Um, we intentionally try to turn off our phones at eight o'clock every night. We do things in our backyard. I don't have a farm, but I've got a pond. I have some different things in our backyard. Anything outside, anything nature fills my emotional bucket. Yeah. And then the final thing is soulful. The spiritual part, everybody is a little bit different, but I've tried to write out a prayer daily because it Mm -hmm. forces me to think Mm -hmm. and not let my mind wander. So writing out a half-page prayer every single day, at least part of that soulful, and and recognizing I'm not a machine. I'm a a human being. Mm -hmm. And and if I don't feel those three things, I'm not going to be, you know, worth anything to anybody today. So that's what it means first. Well, I love that description. And, you know, at the end, you conclude with the number 1,440. Could you just talk to us about that and what that's all about? Yeah. Yeah. The the number is significant because it's the minutes in our day. Mm -hmm. And I think in terms, I don't think in terms so much of wasting them as much as I think the positive investing those minutes Mm -hmm. each day, recognizing that this day is truly a gift and I get to invest those minutes and where I invest them is going to be very important. Mm -hmm. So at the conclusion of every day, I started this 20 years ago. um, I asked myself two questions. Number one, what did I really accomplish today? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm honest with that. Like what, cause I work and, and what did I really accomplish today? And number two, who was better today because of me? Mm-hmm. And those two questions are my honest uh, um, audit every single day. And I can usually go through my mind and say, actually there were like three or four people that were better today because of me. Mm-hmm. Or it might be a day where you're like, wow, I'm not, really sure who was better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but that investment of the minutes and the is so important to me, Max. Yeah. You know, we ask our kids at night where we're putting them to bed, we talk about what was the best part of your day? What did you learn? And who did you help? Oh, wow. So those are the three questions we ask our kids every night when we go to bed. And they, of course, ask us wow. those questions as well. Wow, that is great. I love that. Well, you know, I you know, it's it's fun. It's what you just triggered for me here, you know, with the 1440. Um, how we spend our time matters. And I really want my kids, you know, particularly in this day and age now, particularly with this, uh, you know, sheltering in place a lot, being at home, learning a lot at home. Learning has to be more than just a grade nowadays. It has to be for the love of learning. And even my kids who are preteens or pre-tweens, I should say, you know, I actually have a teenager now too, 13 and 12, but 
But how do I get them to just love learning as opposed to being compelled to learn? And that's the dynamic shift we're trying to figure out and create is that not only are we responsible, you know, for how we show up, how we treat each other and how we contribute, but can we, can we learn something new and what was that learning and how did it help us to grow and how are we able to be of service to other people in that journey? So Steve, thank you for being part of my journey today and for these 45 minutes, um, uh, blessing my life. Yeah. Thank you, Max. What What a privilege to be with you. Well, likewise, and I appreciate all of our listeners. I am always grateful every week when you check in and you give me feedback and and just for the different people who are sharing their stories out there, please keep connected with us here on the Purpose and Principles podcast. My name is Max Brown. Have a great week. Be safe and be wise. Take care.